but I threw it out because it was nasty. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live life that way. I don't want to live in a microwave society. I don't want to live with mediocre because I wasn't willing to put in time or the effort or the work. You know, I'm reaffirmed every day that life with Christ is the way because it is difficult. To be a Christian is often the reworking of your spirit and your body from the inside out. And with faith and trust, we can endure something and we can reach a sweeter reward. And it's done through connection with Jesus. I want to start off with a demonstration. And I stole this from a TV show. And I'm thinking about putting out little leaflets of everything that I reference. Because there's always a lot of like shows and movies. Because I'm a nerd. This is Jeff. I built Jeff with my own two loving hands. And he's really creepy. And the kids were scared of it too. Because he looks like an ass. Now Jeff here is a great guy. He's hardworking. He obviously comes to church because he's with me right now. And he volunteers at his local animal shelter. He's more than excited to be here. And now Jeff is dead. <laughs> I killed Jeff. And you know what? A little piece of you probably just died right now. But you know, oh God, I really threw him. Jeff had to die because in his death, he teaches us a very valuable lesson. And that lesson is that perspective on a relationship with something can really change the way we look at it. It may sound and look silly, but if I took that and just held it up to you and said, nothing about it, didn't name it, didn't give it a background, it's just a popsicle stick, it's just a popsicle stick, but in our own weird way, we took a minute to know Jeff, <laughs> and now we mourn his death. <laughs> I hate this thing. It's so weird. Relationships are so cut and dry, we take our time to get to know things, and I think we, as humans, can connect with just about anything. Whether it's Jeff, an animal, a robot, a Terminator situation, anything like that. I remember junior year of high school. We used to have school where it was like eight or ten periods a day because they used to give us study hall then they realized everybody's sleeping so study hall went out the window. We switched to block scheduling which I know they do here in Florida which is four periods a day and like 90 minutes so you can get a lot more done. We took a class called American Studies which was English, social studies combined. So I said, sign me up. And we watched a lot of movies in that class, so it was also a really good time. And during our World War II segment, we watched Schindler's List. And if you've ever watched Schindler's List, it's a rough movie about the, uh, the Holocaust and, and one guy who was a German factory worker trying to save the Jewish people by getting them to work in his factory. Not a peep from the class. Everybody's kind of watching it, letting it go. Flash forward a couple weeks later, learning about the Dust Bowl, which is really good. I made a terrible video for it. And we watch my favorite Cohen Brothers film, Oh Brother Arrives Out. I think uh, I think we got the clip. Get a 
on your way around the Walter PPK? Well, see, that's where we can't have it. I don't believe it. That's what she Friend, some of your folding money has come unstowed. Just stuff it down in that sack there, will you? You boys are dead men, I take it. Well, it's funny you should ask. I was bad until yesterday, but me and Pete here have been saved. I tell my heart, that there's everything. George help. of that iris 
opening up our eyes allows us to really see more. And in that turn, I really think that brings us to a place that we're called to be, which is servanthood, that we're going to be putting the needs of others, you know, before the needs of ourselves. For some biblical perspective, because we always got to throw in some scripture, mix it up. Let's look at the beginning of everything, the literal beginning, Genesis, the beginning. Um, in Genesis 2, 7, it reads that, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, we know at this point, right from the get-go, God's super busy. He's in full creation mode, heavens, earth, sky, water, creatures, you name it. He's busier than Walmart, you know, on a Black Friday. So busy that he takes a day off because he deserves it. And in the midst of his work, he creates mankind in his own image. You know, no big deal. Just woke up today and feel like creating life. To which we usually ask, what for? And cynically, you could say that he needed someone to work the land. For like half my life, I thought that was the reason that you had kids. Because somebody had to mow the lawn. And it wasn't going to be you. That's why you had the kids. So they could do the chores for you. But thankfully, our God is bigger than that. He just created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't need an outside consultant. He's not an episode of Pawn Stars. He doesn't need to bring a guy in to give him an evaluation on something, you know? Man was just breathed into life from the legit dirt. And what's our very first function in life? It literally looks like, to me at least, our first function was to work in tandem with one another. Can you imagine that though? Like, you ever been waking up from like a really deep sleep? Like, either at your house or in a weird place like the car, and somebody wakes you up and at first you're just like, you don't know if it's a.m. or p.m. Or, or what year it is, and then you're just like, why did you wake me up for? Can you imagine, like, getting woken up, breathing for the first time, and God's just like, what's up? I got stuff to do, you know? It's like, we gotta work. It's beyond wild, but it really looks like the directive is clear from the start. God and man get to work. God instructs man, name the birds and animals, you know? Every single one, let's get rolling here. So, you know, really sometimes a working relationship is a good way to start. You know, where do you normally meet people? You go to events, you go to church, that's a given. You do activities, you do hobbies, you go to that weird place in the mall where you paint and drink wine at the same time that I don't understand, but maybe one day, you know, I'll give it a try. I don't know, not for me. <laughs> things that get, you know, things that get you out there. You put yourself out there, you meet people, know people. It goes on to say in Genesis 2.18 that the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him suitable helper. And I think that there, you can almost interpret it as, you know, God's not the greatest partner for man, that he needed someone else. But I don't think that. I think there's a motif that kind of plays out in a couple points in the Bible where sometimes it's easier for people to understand people and for us to really, you know, get along with other humans. So here, man's put to sleep, obviously. Women is produced from his rib. Which I think is cool. Now that uh, now they share a relationship together, but now we're working on you know all of them together. Adam has a partnership with Eve, same way as they had a partnership with God, and so forth. It's going different ways. It's getting confusing, but I like it. And honestly, then it messes up. Then we're deceived. Serpent in the garden deceives us. We eat from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's always a mouthful. I like that though. The serpent says, eating from the tree will surely not kill us, but let us be like God, knowing good and evil. And in doing that, we really do something heartbreaking, which is severing that connection to God. 
we shattered our relationship with them. Trust had been broken, and then punishment got doled out like usual. And what does a relationship require at that juncture? What do you normally do? You forgot an anniversary, your birthday, maybe it was even you know more difficult if you were unfaithful. You know, how do we go about repairing something like that that seems on that level so dramatically unfixable? The human method is you just start scrambling, buying stuff, apologizing profusely, maybe you plan special events, maybe you're like, I did nothing wrong, it was her fault. You know, the time that tried and you know, tested, she was crazy. <laughs> I can't help it. You know, here's where, here's where us and all of our shortcomings, you know, look at God and say, he's got an ace up his sleeve. That God, before all of this was already set in motion, already had a backup plan. He already had things at work. Jesus was there before the beginning of time. And to think that God would still create man, knowing the path he would be on, knowing that he would be hurt, is incredible. Because if I had hindsight in a relationship that I know would crash and burn, I probably wouldn't start it. But he did. The ultimate guide for us to follow with relationship with God is always going to be Jesus. Because Jesus was all God, but all human. And he was this redemption plan set at motion since the beginning. And Jesus went through a lot of very terrible things that hopefully we never will. And that's our major roadway into relationship right there. He already put it in a plan that sometimes is so complex we can't unravel. But God didn't make one of those you know, how to build a swing set plans. He didn't make one of those plans where there's extra pieces in there and you don't know where the extra pieces go and even the pieces you have, you can't figure out. I'm salty. I tried to build a grill once and it didn't work out. I don't like it. God's got plans woven in and he's got, he's got this figured out. The miraculous stories of Jesus, honestly, throughout the New Testament are a gold mine of information on relationships. He gives out plenty of stories and parables about fathers, sons, enemies, children. Jesus shows us how to live a life that's centered on the Father and in connection with Him. Even especially in the midst of persecution and hardship, He shows us how to stay centered on the one thing that is true. You know, Jesus, as Chip said, I think last week too, Jesus didn't come down to earth with an you know, with an entourage of angels and, you know, they were singing his name. Jesus came as a baby, born in the dirt, naked and vulnerable like the rest of us are. He came in a way that was completely, you know, understandable to us at times. God was there and he was there in the flesh. You could have even held him as a baby. And he would have had that weird soft spot that babies have on their head that make me afraid to hold him because I feel like I'm going to break even, you know, the people that were around Jesus sometimes, you know, really didn't understand him. But those lucky few, like Peter and John and whatnot, they were sleeping a few feet away with him, sharing food with him. You know, what an incredible honor that would have been, you know. And here's where we could get that focus wrong, too, like so many people did that follow him around. You know, Jesus wasn't somebody who was, you know, shady, that was, you know, making promises, kissing babies and moving on. Jesus was hearing, you know, healing people with uncurable diseases. He was bringing people back from the dead and he was doing it out of love and out of connection with people and they were getting confused. When Jesus was out there feeding the poor, you know, he's throwing out you know, loaves and fishes and all these other miracles that are so fantastic. Everybody's getting so excited to follow him and then everyone's getting confused because in Matthew 5 through, 
5, 3 through 12. The beautitudes. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Servant on the Mount. Jesus starts throwing down the law. He starts telling people what exactly it's going to take to follow him. He's throwing up these miracles and everybody's excited and they're seeing what he can do. And then in 728, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He taught with authority. Nobody had been teaching this way before. But they really weren't understanding the picture. Because when the time came and Jesus was nailed to the cross, where were they? Those 5,000 weren't there. A lot of his friends were scattered around. There were only a few there. He was amazing, but people were having a hard time figuring out that it was about the connection with him. It was about who he was, not about what he could do. And having connections in life, it's more important than you might think. But, you know, it's up to us to, to form those connections and have those people. Because even Jesus, of all people, had a squad. Jesus had his 12 men that he would go as far to even call his friends. They weren't just the people that followed him around. He called them friends. He ate with them, shared with them, prayed with them, cried with them even at that point. You know, relationship is about the amount of effort and dedication that he and these men were trading back and forth. I can't imagine that if that every word Jesus said was like super profound because at some point he had to say something simple. So I can't think that he was like unreachable to his friends. At some point he had to be like, pass the wine or something really simple. Actually, you know what? I think Jesus would have liked that wine and, and painting class. I think he really would have rocked that. We went past it and them all like, what are you painting? A whale? That's fantastic. It's Jonah. He's in the mouth. Jesus spent about three years or so, you know, with his friends doing his ministry and getting to know all these people. And they went deeper and deeper with him and to the point where the spirit itself was revealing to them that he wasn't just a prophet that was throwing out miracles. He wasn't just a trickster. He was God. I've never hung out with a friend that meets the man from the dead, you know. Cool stuff. I know the complaint, though, because I have it, too. I'm living in 2019. I didn't really see anything crazy like that today. You know, God sometimes might feel a little bit far. Jesus isn't just walking around the painting class. It's, it's hard to, to live in connection with him. In the Bible, in Acts 11 through 26 there, or around there, it says that in Antioch, Christ's disciples first started calling themselves Christians. What does it mean to be Christian? Does it mean that you keep a good scorecard? That we're punching your card, you've been to the church for is important. We as a church body want people to attend, we want to enjoy the family. We're not here to memorize dates, to recite them back, to just kind of be like school, we're not putting information in, just spitting it at you. We want to see people radically changed when they come here, and we want them to get into that zone. Life, especially you know, throughout your teens, 20s, so on, sometimes just a crazy confusion is a roller coaster of emotions. Spinning that little plastic thing on the life game board that doesn't always like to spin, college job, college job, it's confusing. We, as the body of Christ, are called as his children to help everyone, to help those people who are in need like that. So maybe we shouldn't be taking this calling so lightly all the time. Maybe we should strap on our boots and, and get to work because it's not being cynical or rude to say that everybody in the world sometimes looks at stuff and says, be real with me. They say, give it to me straight, doc. I don't hear people say that anymore, but I think we should bring it back. 
They want to know what's the trick to all of this? How do I perform A through B? What are the works? What are the series? And church and God is not a series of steps like that. It's not a 12-step plan that you could follow and get from A to B and, and figure the whole thing out. You know, we're not coming in here every Sunday just to get to heaven. We're not pretending to be real and better just to get some sort of reward that keeps us from being a jerk all the time. We're here to be radically changed. You know, we're not here to score brownie points. We're here to, you know, help people heal and become better and to realize that with Christ that you were made for something more. We're here for bacon and donuts on Father's Day. That's what we're here for. It's delicious. I love that we do that. That's a heck of a tradition. But you know, you're going to bring a friend through that door. You're going to bring family through this door. You're going to, you know, crowd around them, tell people they're here. Let's, you know, get them going. But people are going to have questions. I had questions when I came through. I had a lot of worries. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why am I here? And honestly, the answer... I kind of thought of, and it dawned on me, is right here in our bulletins that we get here every single week. It's right on the back of it where it says vision. In Ephesians 5.2, it says to keep company with God and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. We're called out to carry the mission of Christ spread that good news and the good news doesn't just hit your ears it comes in and it transforms you from the inside out this building the band us we're called to relationship and we're called to live in love relationship has to become our way of recruitment to do these things differently to let people know that relationship is what we're about this isn't a lecture hall i'm not grading papers when you're walking in here people need to know they're walking into family we're sharing together, we're healing, we're telling our lives to people who will always care. And the church is a constant calling to look inwards at ourselves and realize we're made for more. It's something that we've been talking about a lot lately at our meetings and our different functions that the fields here at Life Church are ripe for harvest. Everything is right here and it's waiting for us to start that work so that we can produce the fruit that we need to. Christ is evident in everything we're doing all the time, so we're here to answer that call. And why not answer that right here, right now at Life Church, right here in Orlando? Why not listen to his call and walk hand in hand with him? I want to start that work together that we've been preordained from the beginning to do, to become love and to love. Now, why don't you bow your heads and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you every day that you have called us to be your children. We thank you for the life you breathed in man all those years ago. And we pray that with that breath you gave us, we can praise your name. I pray that Life Church may continue to learn what it takes and means to walk deeper and deeper with you. We pray that our ears are open to hear your wisdom and that our eyes are there to see your love and that our hearts are open to receive the words that you want to write on them. We want our lives to sing of your great deeds and your love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless everybody. Have a great Sunday. And remember that the Patriots football will be back soon, so it's going to be good. Thanks, everybody.